Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. During the Second World War, the Japanese recruited dozens of English-speaking women to be part of a propaganda broadcast aimed at Allied troops in the Pacific. The radio programs were meant to lower morale amongst the troops. The broadcasters would report Japanese attacks and describe the overwhelming advantages of the Japanese forces held over the Allies. Often these reports were false, and most Allied troops knew it, but shows with these female announcers were popular with the troops. These women became collectively known to American troops as Tokyo Rose. At the end of the war, however, only one of these women would be primarily identified as Tokyo Rose. Her name was Ikuko Iva Toguri. Small in stature with slacks and pigtails, Toguri hardly fit the rumors of what some had assumed would be a vengeful Madame Butterfly. Shockingly, she was also a U.S. citizen. But how did Iva Toguri become the legendary Tokyo Rose, and then the seventh person in America to be convicted of treason at the end of World War II? Was she a traitor, an opportunist, or just unlucky? Iva Toguri was born in Los Angeles, California on July 4, 1916. Though born to Japanese immigrants, she experienced a childhood that she described as almost entirely American. Her father, Jun Toguri, was adamant that his family assimilate into American culture, like many families before them, even going as far as discouraging his children from learning how to speak, read, or write the Japanese language. Iva attended grammar schools, became a Girl Scout, and was raised as a Methodist. After finishing high school in Los Angeles, Iva studied at the University of California, UCLA, and completed a degree in zoology in 1940. According to Iva, she never intended to travel to Japan and would have rather remained in California for graduate studies in medicine. However, a family member became sick and her mother was not able to travel to Japan to care for them. Thus, Iva went in her place. Due to the haste of her departure, she arrived in Japan with a certificate of identification rather than a passport. In late 1941, U.S.-Japan relations were already declining. Toguri attempted to obtain a passport from the U.S. Vice Consul, but after the attack on Pearl Harbor, her request was denied. She still had the option of sailing home on one of the several repatriation ships sent by the U.S., but Toguri had no money to pay the fare, and with her family moved to an internment camp and unable to help, she was stranded. One of 40,000 Japanese Americans that remained in Japan during the war, Toguri was under scrutiny from Japanese police due to her unwillingness to revoke her American citizenship. She would later say in an interview that, It wouldn't do any good to sign a piece of paper if my heart had not changed. Alone and without an income, she found work with a news agency known as Radio Tokyo. At Radio Tokyo, she came into contact with Allied POWs who were often coerced into participating in Japanese propaganda programs. The POWs at the station were suspicious of her at first. She gained their trust by smuggling items such as aspirin and fruit for the POWs to take back to their camps. In time, Toguri became one of the main talents at the station. Her perfect English made her invaluable, and it was said that she had a voice that sounded like a girl from Connecticut. She became a part of a show called The Zero Hour, a broadcast created in March 1943 by POW officer Major Charles Cousins of the Australian Army. 
Cousins created scripts for the Zero Hour that featured jazz recordings and news reports about disasters back home. When Taguri joined the team in November 1943, Cousins coached her to sound jolly and to sometimes mispronounce words. This, he thought, would help undermine the propaganda they were charged with spreading. During the Zero Hour, Taguri referred to herself as Orphan Anne, a reference to an American comic character, and acted as a disc jockey while playing popular music. A typical introduction sounded like this. Hello, boys. This is Radio Tokyo about to broadcast the Zero Hour in honor of forgotten American soldiers, sailors, and Marines out here in the Pacific. Here's a tune you'll like. Harry James playing. I'll be seeing you. As part of the program, Toguri and the other female broadcasters also gave reports of false Japanese attacks, as well as spread rumors that the girlfriends of American GIs were being unfaithful. According to the Japanese, these girlfriends were eating steaks and dining with other men in air-conditioned cafes while the GIs were sweating in the Pacific. This was information that the Japanese would have no way of knowing, but the Japanese propagandists often used the themes of sex and infidelity to try to rattle Allied troops. Taguri and Cousins always maintained that they worked to subvert most of the Japanese propaganda. Tongue-in-cheek, Taguri also warned Zero Hour listeners that the program was dangerous and wicked propaganda, so beware. The obvious humor within Zero Hour was ignored by the Japanese because Cousins was able to convince them that humor was very disarming to American audiences and would make them vulnerable to the propaganda messages. Overall, the radio broadcasts were very popular among the Allied forces. Taguri continued to broadcast for the Zero Hour and be a voice of Tokyo Rose until the Japanese surrender in late 1945. After the Japanese surrender, the U.S. Office of War Information concluded that Tokyo Rose was simply a GI invention as government monitors never heard the words Tokyo Rose over Japanese-controlled radios. Even without a confirmed identity, American reporters were convinced of her existence in an interview with the legendary Tokyo Rose was coveted as closely as an interview with Prime Minister Hideki Tojo or General Douglas MacArthur. Toguri did not immediately return to the U.S. Instead, she was bombarded by reporters who wanted interviews. In exchange for money, in the hopes that it would deflect other reporters, she agreed to an interview with an American reporter. In order to receive payment, Toguri had to sign a document that stated that she was, in fact, the one and original Tokyo Rose. The reporter hailed the interview as the confession of Tokyo Rose. This drew attention from the occupation government and the press. In September of 1945, a representative of the 8th Army Counterintelligence Corps questioned her as well, but enlisted men would frequently interrupt the meeting wanting an autograph and a glimpse of Tokyo Rose. As her reputation in American media became increasingly negative, Toguri continued to be popular amongst the military men in Japan. A short film interview was even made by the sound crew of the USS Mitchell, in which they called Toguri, Tokyo Rose, and concluded by expressing their appreciation for her broadcast and music. In October of 1945, Toguri was arrested at her apartment in Tokyo by counterintelligence officers and taken to Yokohama where she was interrogated and charged with treason. After a month, she was moved to Sugamo Prison and remained there for a year, while the U.S. Army looked for evidence against her. Ultimately, the 8th Army Legal Section declared that there was no evidence that Taguri made reports about military strategies and movements, or had knowledge of secret plans and information. Essentially, nothing she said had compromised American troops or strategy.
With this finding, Tagore was released from custody in October of 1946. Now, however, she lacked any kind of identification. This would make getting a passport almost impossible. Having married Felipe d'Aquino during the war, Tagore could have obtained a Portuguese passport. Wishing to be identified as an American, however, she waited for the State Department to make a ruling about her identity and issue her a passport. Although General MacArthur's staff and U.S. Army counterintelligence could find no evidence to prove she was sympathetic to the Japanese, and although the Allied POWs who worked with her testified to her innocence, the American press strongly lobbied for a trial and a charge of treason for giving aid and comfort to the Japanese during the war. This secured her fate, and in August 1948, Tagore was arrested for treason and sent to San Francisco to begin her trial. Americans who were expecting a seductive siren, or at the very least someone to live up to the legend of Tokyo Rose, must have been disappointed when a frail and plain-looking woman exited the ship, the General Hodges, on September 25, 1948. She hardly seemed the woman who had supposedly demoralized troops in the Pacific. Suguri had given birth a few months before, but had lost the baby, and was suffering from dysentery when she arrived in the U.S. The American press was unrelenting in calling for her prosecution. On July 5, 1949, months after Tagore's arrival in the U.S., the trial began. Witnesses were brought from Japan, making the trial the most expensive in U.S. history until that time. One of the witnesses proved an ally for Tagore, the Australian officer Charles Cousins, who had written her scripts for the Zero Hour, testified on her behalf. When American GIs testified, however, they found it difficult to remember what was actually said on the Zero Hour program. Tagore did not testify until September, but claimed that she did not feel as though she had betrayed America. Surprisingly, American reporters agreed and predicted that she would be acquitted. That was not to be the case. The jury found Tagore to be guilty on one of eight charges, that of reporting on the loss of American ships at the Battle of Lady Gulf. The judge sentenced her to 10 years in prison, in addition to a $10,000 fine. Tagore served six years at the Federal Reformatory for Women before she was released in early 1956. She was prepared to get back to making a living, but her life would never be quite the same. As soon as she was released, the government tried to have her deported, and it took her years of legal battles to remain in the U.S. Her defense lawyers tried to get clemency in 1954 from President Eisenhower, and again in 1968 from President Johnson, but neither men responded. In the 1960s, hundreds of veterans who served in the Pacific Theater came forward and stated in oral interviews that the broadcast did nothing to decrease morale and that they actually looked forward to the broadcasts. One veteran recalled Tokyo Rose being a kind of a friend on a lonely night in the Pacific. In the 1970s, two prosecution witnesses claimed to have been under pressure to convict Tuguri and withdrew their testimonies. The Japanese American Citizens League, along with Wayne Merrick Collins, the son of Tuguri's trial lawyer, petitioned President Gerald Ford for pardon in November 1976. On January 19, 1977, President Ford pardoned Tuguri. She lived a long life and died in Chicago in 2006 at the age of 90. The debate continues about Iva Tuguri. Some still see her as a traitor, while others see her as one of the millions of people displaced by World War II. Remarkably, she never willingly gave up her American citizenship. Not when stranded in Japan during the war, not when it would have allowed her to go home, 
and not after her pardon. On another interesting note, few, if any, scholars today consider Tokyo Rose and the Japanese propaganda program Zero Hour as being successful in their impact on the morale of Allied troops. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.